Pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Light our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our ears to the word that you will speak to us. Amen. I'm in a class this semester called Discerning Congregations. The main question we ask is how a pastor can grow to understand their people in order to serve them well. One of the methods we employ in order to do so is called ethnography. A branch of anthropology It deals with systematic study and scientific description of individual cultures. Maybe you're like me and thinking to yourself, this doesn't sound much like seminary. The second part of this story is a confession. Sometimes, when you've been going to school for almost 20 years, and you're three weeks into your last semester of schooling where it has become common to receive 200-page writing assignments for just... <laughs> Can we start over? I said writing assignments, but it's reading. Yikes, man. It only takes one thing. I'm just gone. Good to go? Okay. Pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Light our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our ears to the word that you will speak to us. Amen. I'm in a class this semester called Discerning Congregations. The main question we ask is how a pastor can grow to understand a specific group of people in order to serve them well. One of the methods we employ to do so is called ethnography. It's a branch of anthropology dealing with the systematic study and scientific description of individual cultures. Maybe you, like me, are thinking to yourself, that doesn't sound that much like seminary. The second part of this story is a confession. Sometimes, when you've been going to school for almost 20 years straight, and you're three weeks into your last semester of schooling where it has become common to be given 200-page reading assignments for just one of your five classes, when all you really want to do is write a sermon for Pillar Church, an idea pops into your head. Maybe I don't have to do all the reading. I never thought of it before. So as I'm skimming through the four books assigned for this class, I noticed a striking similarity between all of them that I wanted to share with you. The wisdom of the ethnographer tells us that human beings understand ourselves through narratives. Despite our stated love for objective truth, facts, statistics, what we believe are the stories we tell. This is why we like stories at Pillar Church and why Christians cling to our story. So hear the word of the Lord. It is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. 
But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a pivotal moment in Jesus' life and ministry, a turning point, beginning with his face set towards Jerusalem. Translated differently, he became steadfast towards Jerusalem, oriented towards the end, and though it is still a winding road, that purpose is at the forefront. Steadfast towards Jerusalem. In the season of Lent, followers of Jesus journey with him along this road, we too become steadfast, oriented towards the purposes of God. We journey because we see the world around us and we need a new story. We gather because we know how real our sin is and that we can't do a thing about it. We need a new story. A friend of mine, her mom remembers a story from when she was maybe eight years old. At school in music class, a teacher told her that she couldn't sing. She remembered it. She carried it with her. All her whole life, so many decades later. And sure, in the scheme of things, this isn't that big of a deal. But it kind of is. And of course, there are bigger, more important stories we tell about partisan politics, stories that define who our enemies are, stories about what we're here to do, how we define success, what the good life is. Through it all, the church gathers because we know that the stories we tell are powerful and we need a new story. And so for the next six weeks, we gather around the story of Jesus who is steadfast towards Jerusalem. And this Ash Wednesday, I want to invite you to orient yourself within the story of God, to find yourself there. That's it. That's the point. And if you've never done that before, I'd encourage you to think about it because there is a place for you. And if you're here because you've been here more times than you can count, the invitation is the same. All of that said, did you hear the word of the Lord spoken to us today? The first time I read it, knowing that I'd have to preach it, my response was, yikes. It takes place at the end of Luke 9, and it wouldn't surprise me if none of you wanted to journey with this Jesus anywhere. Harsh, puzzling, seemingly unfair. Through it all, I want to highlight two things that Jesus offers us about the kingdom of God. A kingdom, a kingdom job description and a kingdom clarification. Here's the kingdom job description. The disciples saw that Jesus was not received by the Samaritans and this fit well within the story they've been telling themselves. Samaritans, those heretics, schismatics, those of impure religion. This is a long-standing conflict. So with their faces seemingly steadfast towards Jerusalem, James and John think to themselves, well, the kingdom is near. Maybe now is the time for those who are wrong to face the consequences. And they knew the Hebrew scriptures, the story of Elijah commanding fire to come down from heaven. And so they say, Lord, do you want us 
to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I'm not trying to make you laugh on Ash Wednesday, but imagine the awkward silence, the facial expressions that must have followed after saying such a thing. And if you've read the prophets, it becomes clear that prophets are always hesitant to accept the role that God's given them, sometimes going to great lengths to flee. Meanwhile, the disciples seemed all too ready to accept what they hoped would be their task from the Lord. I wonder what Jesus said then when he turned and rebuked James and John. We don't know, but if you're willing to hold that question till the next chapter, we are given an answer. In the next chapter, looking to test Jesus, a lawyer asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus responds, love God and your neighbor, and he tells a story. The Good Samaritan. If you don't know it, read it. And with that job description and that story, it's almost like Jesus is turning back to the last chapter and rebuking James and John. Being steadfast towards Jerusalem means telling a new story, the story of the kingdom of God. And we're invited to orient ourselves towards that narrative. Our place in the kingdom of God is not to be a judge, but to be a good neighbor to step out of the story of rivalry, of bad blood, of hatred, and to ask better questions about the kingdom of God than who's in and who's out. I don't know how that old story is told in your life, who you're against, who you hate, who you consider to be so different from you that you might consider asking Jesus your own version of the question that James and John poses. But know this, the disciples are the ones in need of rebuking. And the implication is surprisingly simple to see things differently, to live differently. Jesus turned and rebuked them. They went on to another village. There's the kingdom job description and now the kingdom clarification. Along the road to Jerusalem, Jesus has three interactions with would-be followers, each short conversation more unsettling than the last from the cryptic declaration about the dwelling place of the Son of Man to the implication that the kingdom pulls us away from the sacred space of burying a parent to the news that the one longing to say farewell to their family is no longer fit for the kingdom of God, I have to ask, how does that sound to you? And like I asked earlier, do you even want to journey with this Jesus? In my life, I've spent a lot of time around Christian youth formation, having received a Christian education all the way through seminary, having gone to youth group, a young life volunteer, a church music leader. I've heard my fair share of youth talks. You know, those things we don't call sermons, but talks, the people we don't call preachers, but speakers. I've developed a theory that the church as a whole could benefit from going to high school youth group or even elementary school Christian chapels. And I think it might be a myth that we ever graduate from simple language and elementary topics. I don't know if I'm trustworthy though, because I'm also the person who thinks that you actually can't pay attention to a sermon that's longer than 10 minutes. I'm curious if any of you are proving me wrong. The reason I bring this all up is that I was at a youth camp where I was leading music The speaker for that week was trying to get middle schoolers to understand faith in God and its place in their lives. She said something that stayed with me. 
She compared our lives to a school lunch tray with all those sections, the compartments for a milk carton, for a vegetable, tater tot, you know. She said, if you think about your life as one of those lunch trays with those compartments being things like your family, your friends, your hobbies, your job, your income, your hopes, your dreams, your faith isn't one of those compartments, it's the whole tray. Test this image that I heard at a youth camp and see if it's not worth thinking about. See if it doesn't challenge you. I wonder if this is the kingdom clarification that Jesus makes, the truth, the truth that he's shocking us into thinking about. Faith isn't a part of your life, it is your life. It's not part of your story, it's the story that you are a part of. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, you proclaim the kingdom of God. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. As if to say, are we on the same page? Do you know what I'm asking you? Do you know what you're saying when you tell me that I will follow you wherever you go? Do you know where we're going? The invitation of Lent is to have your life taken away from you. You might call this death. Remember these words? Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Or these, I have died with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Are you steadfast towards that story? Because Jesus makes that kingdom clarification so we know what journey we're on. It's tempting to approach Ash Wednesday with a sense of woe, maybe even shame. We're using words like penitence, sin, mortality, death. We're forced to reckon with the darkness of the life of the world and the sin in our lives. But I wonder if you noticed the beginning of the passage today. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. There's something intentional about the way these words frame the rest of the story. It doesn't say when the days drew near for him to be taken, betrayed, or arrested, crucified, or even killed, even though, even though all these things happened. It says when the days drew near for him to be taken up, resurrection, ascension, redemption, healing, life after death. Steadfast to the story of God means keeping the end in sight. God's action in Jesus for you to live. Author and pillar member Chuck DeGroat in a Lenten devotional called Falling into Goodness, which you all should read, says this. Perhaps Lent is about becoming aware through daily attentiveness to the reality that we are created from the dust living spirits, that we are enough, that everything we need and long for is already ours in Christ. Ours in Christ. Lent is daily attentiveness to that. Here's sort of a side note. You may feel moved to give something up or to add something on for this season. Whatever you do may be for the purpose of drawing you into that narrative against all other narratives. That you may realize that everything you need and long for is already yours in Christ. And if that's not what Lenten practice has become for you, I'd encourage you to give that up. Ours in Christ, who loved you enough to do something about your situation, 
the son of man who had no place to lay his head. If you paid attention to how cold it is outside, he had no place so that you might have one. St. Gregory of Nazianzus, all the way back in the fourth century, has this beautiful articulation about the necessity of the incarnation, the necessity of Jesus. He says, that which is not assumed is not healed. God in Jesus assumed created form of the dust that he molded and breathed life into, the lowly, the earthy, the dirty. He experienced it all for our healing. The point of the story is healing. The journey with Jesus is for healing, for life after death. In a few moments, I invite you to receive the mark of the cross on your forehead, either from yourself or someone you're with. With that, I also invite you to speak these words. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's Genesis 3:19, and may the news that you are dust come to you as gospel. May these words ground you in the story of God in which your part is but a breath. May it point you to the work of God that has been done for you in Jesus, who met us in the form of the dust. May it allow you to rest. All this is done amidst our weakness, beyond our limits. I invite you to wear that cross as a name tag or the title of a storybook so that this may be the story you tell yourselves and others. You are dust and you'll return to dust, but you're going to be healed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.